following message is a ministry of the Upper Room Project. If you like the monthly content that you hear, the most helpful thing you can do is tell a friend. You could also leave a rating and a review. And finally, this show is only possible because of supporters like you. Go to www.upperroomproject.com backslash rhythm and show your support. Thanks. This is The Rhythm of Faith with Eddie Paul. Recently, I thought back to my college years as a student athlete. Freshman year, I was often told that I wasn't quite meeting the expectations of what a basketball player was supposed to be. One of the acquaintances that I would often see during those years was a guy named Charles. He was often surprised not only by seeing me in the library, but to see me in class, to see that I participated in group debates in class. He would often try and pay me a compliment by telling me that I was so articulate. Many years later, Charles and I would see each other again when meeting with government officials to discuss funding proposals for people experiencing homelessness in Louisville, Kentucky. Again, he was surprised to see that I was involved with such important people without being a major NBA star or entertainer of some sort. You see, Charles had held these notions without sharing them with me. That was until we met last year. He invited me out to lunch one day and surprised me when he apologized for offenses that were only performed in his mind. He told me that day that for all those years, he wanted me to fit so badly into the box that his mind had built for me that he had been unintentionally robbing me of my dignity. And I have to think, how many times have we done that to others? How many times have we missed the opportunity to share love, or for me to share the love of Jesus with others because we refuse to let that person out of the box that we've placed them in. Wouldn't that be missing out on the core message we receive from Jesus? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and to love our neighbors as ourselves? You see, we can get so caught up in trying to interpret the more difficult parts of the Bible in order to properly place people in their boxes that we completely miss the core message of Jesus' teachings. Love God and love one another. In this I think of Romans 15:7, accept one another then, just as Jesus Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Today I invite you to listen to the story of Ashley and see if you could prevent yourself from placing her in a box. Could you embrace her with the love that you have for yourself? You're listening to The Rhythm of Faith. religious 
person? No. Um, do I press my beliefs on others? No. Um, but if somebody wanted to sit down and, and listen to my story, I'll gladly tell you. And um, it's funny because when, you know, people that are my friends, you know, I'm the goofy life of the party. And when friends find out that I'm, you know, a Sunday, you know, going out and a Sunday school teacher, they're like, wait, what? Like, no way. Yep, that's me, you know. And do you love kids? No, you, yep, I do. And, you know, it's, I like surprising people. And if that's the way I surprise people, then that's the way I surprise people. My name is Ashley. Um, I'm originally from the Midwest, uh, Central Illinois to be exact, um, of a, a, a tiny uh, farming community, about uh, 1,300 people. And um, now I've made my way to New York City and I am uh, enrolled into uh, Accelerated Nursing Program. My parents, my mom, um, my mom lived out in uh, Pennsylvania, and it wasn't too far. She commutes every day into uh, Brooklyn, and I figured, well, um, her. It was more or less her saying, you know, if you're ever gonna move, make the move. Come live with me. Get your feet, you know, back on the ground. Um, save up work and save up some money, and we'll get you enrolled into whatever we need to to uh, get you to the next step to where you can, you know, enroll into nursing school. So it was a huge, huge push from her and that kind of led me here. So back when, so my father died when I was 11. I was a huge daddy's girl. Um, and it, there is a moment when I was in third grade and I distinctly remember going into my sister's room and like most girls, they have pictures of their best, them and their best friends, you know, pinned up on the wall. And, I found myself going, she's cute, she's cute, she's not. And I stopped and thought, I was like, I didn't say anything about any boy that were that was in these pictures. It was all about the girls. And before that, I had my boyfriends, you know, and we held hands and, you know, sat next to each other and, and you know, at lunch and, and whatnot. And I never thought anything of it because I, you know, I grew up in a small town. That's what we did. You know, we hung out with our boyfriends and our best friends during the summer, and, and you know, that's what we did at lunch. And that moment, I was like, all right. I didn't think that something was wrong, but I knew that something was different. And then after that, I honestly, it wasn't until my father passed away and growing up, I, I probably after my dad, you know, passed away, I was teased a lot in junior high. Um, I was into athletics, but you know, the popular girls, and I moved to Chicago after that, and I didn't know anybody, and I was the, the new girl with the Southern accent. So, you know, I got picked on a lot, and I pretty much kept to myself, um, and just, and you know, dove into sports head on. And uh, that was my thing, and so, things like sleepovers and whatnot when girls were out having sleepovers. I didn't have sleepovers. I didn't have my first sleepover until I was like 12 or 13 years old. And, you know, my thing was home. My thing was at school. I, you know, I studied hard and I played basketball and softball. That's, that was my thing. And so it wasn't until high school where I met um, the first girl that I dated. We dated for, I think it was like four years. 
I was terrorized by, you know, the boys who had crush, crushes on her. Um, my house was egged. I mean, I went through a, a bunch of stuff um, with dating her. And that's when I had come out to my mom by accident. Um, my, my brother called me gay and, or called me a lesbo and I was offended and I said something to my mom and she goes, well, you are one. And, and I was like, wow, she knows. Like, you know, all these kids have, they go through these things where they're terrified to tell their parents. Well, most of them, most of the time they already know, you know, and here's my mom who never said anything. She knew the whole time. And I remember grabbing my towel, going to the bathroom, taking a long shower, and I just cried for like an hour. What, what did you feel? I don't, I think a whole slew of things. I felt, I guess, you know, relieved, because it, in its weird way, went so well. Um, I felt a huge stress, you know, off my chest. Um, just a lot of things. I guess I was, you know, growing up in the town that I grew up in, I expected my mom to um, not accept it or disown me. Um, especially dealing with other friends who, you know, had come out to their parents or their parents had, you know, found out and a roundabout way how awful it went for them. I was terrified that that was going to be my story. So after that, I think it was like two, maybe a year later, we're having Thanksgiving down in uh, central Illinois. And uh, I, my grandma's like five foot, she's real short. And uh, I put my arm around her and I said, you know, grandma, I have something to tell you. And she goes, sweetheart, I already know. And when that happened, like, to me, it didn't matter who knew after that, to know that the two most important women in my life were the most supportive and the least, and I expected it the least from them because they were my toughest critics. They were always pushing me to do my best. They always expected the most from me. And when they were okay with it, I knew that I was going to be okay with it. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you don't, unfortunately, uh, coaching a lot of kids who, who have come out to their parents the way you have, I can't give you a percentage, but I know there's a lot of them that don't get that same support. Right. And it just, it just wrecks them uh, for, for many years. these days, you know, trying to come out and whatnot, and given that it is becoming, thankfully, much more accepted, but there are still those people and those stories that, you know, make people stay in their shell, and uh, that definitely was was part of me. I mean, my very best friend growing up, I've known him since kindergarten, 
and he is gay too. And uh, for us two, we thought we were, you know, just like this this accident that happened from our, our small town. We're like, how did us, who, you know, we're best friends and we turn out to be gay, how did this happen to us? Like, why does it have, have to happen to us? He was teased, like I said, just like I was um, growing up. And, you know, looking back now, I, I am who I am because of it, you know? And uh, I, I couldn't be more thankful, it sounds weird, to be bullied or to be teased the way that I was because it helped me get through a lot of tough times. So as, as um, you know, you kind of talked about your background in Central Illinois and, and the way that um, you, you expected to be treated by your mom once you, you did come out, uh, and even your grandmother to some extent. Um, what was the, uh, just drawing back on your, your teaching in Sunday school, uh, what was your experience uh, in your church? Um, see, that was the thing is when, you know, going to church, and that's, that's one thing about my whole life that I've been very reserved when it comes to strangers. Um, I don't feel the need to announce my sexuality or who I'm with. Do I feel the need to explain to people my sexuality? No. If they ask, I will, you know, fully disclose that's not a problem. But growing up, I've, and hearing other people's stories, it's, not made me afraid, but it's made me more cautious and aware of other people who do not, you know, their beliefs do not align with mine. And I don't care to find those people. And so when it comes to me being outwardly gay, um, I am, but in a sense that I'm, you know, you know, PDA with my partner, no. Will I hold my, her hand in, in certain places? Yes, but am I all over her in no way because do I really want to see that from somebody else whether they're gay or straight no and so in church I was never openly gay and never did I um, take anything to heart when it came to addressing gay people because I knew what I believed in I knew how I felt in my relationship with Jesus and that had no bearing um, and that changed it in no way um, and, uh, but it, I, I've always been that way only because being open and honest with my family and my friends, I know who my family and my friends are and how they're going to react. For strangers, not so much, especially as years progress and you just, you just never know. And I don't want to find out, you know, okay. unfortunately. Okay. So I'm, I'm assuming, and, and please correct me, uh, that with your approach, um, you're less apt to be uh, involved in uh, fighting for rights and things of that sort. It's more just kind of living out your life. Or how how would you describe that? Um, when it comes, like I said, I'm very vocal when it comes to you know, if somebody says something. Let Let's take like an example, a, a classmate or or something like that. Somebody that I know on a different level that don't, that's not a complete stranger. I will you know defend people, you know, people that are different than their beliefs, will I outwardly come out and say, well, I'm gay, this, that, and the other, and, you know, try to, you know, strengthen my argument that way? No. I, I don't, I, I feel like, if anything, that only weakens my argument, 
because you know they feel like I'm I'm trying to promote my agenda when that's that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to inequality and whatnot, do I want you know obviously I want the same rights, but am I going to be out there dressed like a vagina? No. <laughs> like, what? How does that help my you know me? That it doesn't. You know, as as a woman or as a gay woman, that doesn't help what I want in life. And mm-hmm. does that make me look good? No, that doesn't reflect, you know, well on my, you know, on me. And that's that's another thing is gay pride parades. I've never been one to, you know, be involved or want to go. The only way, the only reason why I've ever gone to pride parades is because my friends have, you know, get-togethers before. Otherwise, when I see, you know, gay men gallivanting in a thong and a boa, I'm like, what is that saying? Who wants to give somebody equal rights when that's how they they portray, they see us? And to me, that it, that's a huge setback for people who are trying to get, especially gay people who are trying to get equal rights. Like, people, their judgments are what they see, you know, off of what they see. So if that is what they see, why would they, you might as well just think that somebody is just mentally insane if that's what they're wearing in public. I, I, I can't, like, in a way, like, it sounds silly, but I can't help but say, oh, yeah, no wonder you judge us. That's, those, those are the people that are representing us. And so that's why I always chose not to, you know, march in a, you know, the women's rights parade and, you know, like to be associated with people like that or, you know, go to a, um, a gay pride parade and, and choose to partake because that's not how I want to be represented. I'd rather be my own voice and stick up for what I believe in the way that I want myself perceived as. It's, um, it's an interesting uh, parallel to my story. Uh, when it comes to minority rights, mm-hmm. um, I I don't have a choice. It's, you know, I can't come out and say whether I'm mixed or or, or white. It's you see it when I walk through the door, and so um, there there are parts of fighting for equal rights, you know, with the Black Lives Matter or, or another movement that I love, but I also know the junk that comes with it. So frustrating to say, okay, I support you, but you're not representative of the way in which I want to be supported. So I, I, I feel a lot of parallels uh, between the two. Um, is there, as you kind of look through, um, and again, I, I understand your stance on, on how you would represent yourself and how you would fight for you know, certain rights or portray your points of view, if there was something that you could um, uh, point to the church and say, hey, I wish you would fill in the blank, what what would that be in, re- um, in respect to, to your life and, and how you're trying to live out a good uh, life as a Christian? I think my biggest thing, whether it be for the church or anybody in general, how is it the way that I choose to live my life? How does it impact your life? It doesn't. It doesn't. Whether you're my next door neighbor or you're, you know, 3,000 miles away, the way I live my life and who I choose to love, that has no bearing on your life. So 
how are you to regulate my life and my rights? How are you to tell me that the way I live my life is wrong? I'm not hurting myself. I'm not hurting others. You know, like I said, I, in, in, it goes, you know, even with kids, you know, I lived next door to Nathan for, I don't know, four or five years. Never once did I, you know, um, be affectionate with the person I was dating around him. I, that was for his father to explain to him. And when that time came, that wasn't for me to impose on him. I wanted him to love me for me and not, and, and that's it. And he is my best bud to this day. And, and that's how I am with everybody. I, I try to be sensitive of everybody else's, you know, thoughts and feelings, but at the same time, I'm not gonna let it, I don't control the way that I live. And um, the, the, my biggest thing is like, I was taught to respect other people. That's how I was raised. And I, I choose to practice that every day. Now that I'm 33 and I go back home, I've, you know, had these relationships with these people since before I was able to even, you know, know who they were. I mean, people that went to high school with my father and my mother or were best friends with my grandparents, these people, they know the ins and outs of me. And that also means that they know that I'm gay and they know that when Ashley comes home, she's gonna bring her girlfriend. And to me, that's a big deal. Like that's, and for me to grow up in a town of 1100 people where I grew up being afraid of introducing my significant other to them, to now when I come home, it's like a homecoming every time I come home. They're excited to see me and they couldn't be more supportive and loving. Hmm. And it's freaking awesome because yeah, I've known these people my whole life and they'll say, you know, make their derogatory comments about this person or that person. But the moment I walk in the room, like, no, that doesn't happen, you know, that doesn't happen with me. And it, it, they know that I won't put up with it either. They know that, you know, I, you know, you step on my toes, I stomp on your foot. I will be very respectful of you until you disrespect me or somebody that I care for. Um, and that's that part that that's part of what we were talking about my you know values that how i was raised in showing people mutual respect and that's something that i've always done and i always will do and and it, it the same i mean that's my main goal every day is to respect people the way they should respect me and that goes with treating people the same way my next goal in you know my every day is to make somebody laugh and you know and just to love people how hard is that so as as you look at this scenario when you've gone through everything you've gone through um, and you found this person who um, who makes you laugh who knows who you are who takes you makeup or no makeup um, stinky breath and all um, how how do you think that um, a, a, as a Christian, how do you think Jesus looks upon you? He's happy for me. Everything happens for a reason. You know, when my father passed away when I was eleven, he was my best friend. He was my biggest, or what I thought was my biggest fan. I thought at the time that he was my only fan, and. 
When my dad passed away, I thought that that was it. No, I, you know, I was 11. You know, you're getting into the phase of life where you think you're right, everybody else is wrong. And if anybody else thinks differently, your life is ending, you know? And um, I hated life. I was an angry kid. And I, I think I was a little angry before having parents that were divorced. Um, but then going through that and, and losing my best friend, I was even more angry. And um, when he passed away, you know, for a little while I was, you know, pretty tore up about it. I don't, I don't know. Everything happens for a reason. And I firmly believe that because had my father not passed away, I don't know if I ever would have had the, you know, felt the need or the, um, the push to go to college. I don't know if I would have had that determination be the first one in the gym and the last one out like that was my distraction away from you know everything that was going on in life um and just like Nathan coming into my life you know I didn't know that I had a, a bigger plan for myself than to care love somebody more than myself and um and then when I I was robbed I thought that I couldn't live without these things. I couldn't live without, you know, the pictures that were on these, you know, computers or um, you know, the guitars that my dad had given to me, but you know, when he passed away or, you know, things like that. And I suddenly realized, you know, my dogs were okay. I was okay. Life's okay. If anything, it's cheaper to move to New York now. I don't have as many things. You know, I, I've always taken everything as a sign. Everything happens for a reason. And I firmly believe that that's because of Jesus but I, in, in terms of those I mean those things that I'm not ashamed of but and uh, it, it's you know it just simple things like people you know they're like what's your favorite band oh you know need to breathe they're like I've never heard of them listen to them you'll love them and you know once they're like oh they're a Christian group I was like well they it's good music isn't it <laughs> and, you know it's like little things like that like I said I like to surprise people and you know whatever way works so, but going back to your, your question, um, everything happens for a reason. And I, you know, can't help but think that the higher power is the reason for that. Very cool perspective. Just because somebody doesn't show you love doesn't mean you can't show them love. Like I said, it's not that hard. People, I mean, people have that saying, you know, kill people with kindness, and I firmly believe that. It takes a, a bigger, stronger person to build somebody up than it does to tear them down. I want to thank Ashley for sharing her story via Skype today. And I pray that someday we all figure out that love is enough. Special thanks to our artists today, Audio Binger, Blue Dot Sessions, Chad Crouch, Dr. Turtle, Drake Stafford, Kesta, Little Glassman, and Mind's Eye. Until next month, one love.